If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and I'm going to invite Ashley to come read our scripture for us. This is God's word from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Thanks, Ashley, uh, for that cheery note from Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Um, My name is Shane. I'm one of the pastors here uh, as well. It's really good to, to be with you all this morning. And as we move into our teaching time, I have the distinct honor and privilege and joy of introducing my friend uh, who is going to be our guest preacher for today, Mr. Javon Washington. Javon, you want to come up and join me? Yeah, can we welcome him? And Javon and I, I was thinking during the first service, Javon, like when we say he and I used to work together at another church. Can we name the church? Or is it like the church that should not be named? Or It's covered in the blood. It's okay, in the we're blood. in a safe place. Okay, so at Mars Hill, we worked together <laughs> back in 2014. I was thinking, though, during the first service, like, that's five years ago, man. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. A lot changes. In- a lot's happened. Wow, I went to years. high school and not that much stuff changed in that amount of time. <laughs> right. That was a lot. Right. So uh, quite a while we've known each other now. Uh, you've known Pastor Aaron for quite a while mm-hmm. as well. And many of you probably know Javon in different capacities as well. He came here back in 2016. He joined us to, as a guest preacher as well. Um, and Yeah, in 2016. And then also that same weekend, I think, did participated in this gospel and race panel that we had. We, it was a Facebook Live event that we did. Don't worry. You're safe today. We're not talking about that. So. <laughs> I listened back through it the other day. It's pretty good. It's good stuff. It's still out there on Facebook if you look. Just scroll back to 2016. Um, And then finally, about a year ago, Javon uh, planted a church called Flourish Church Mm -hmm. in the Rainier Valley area. Where is it specifically again? Columbia City. Columbia City. Yeah, so he's been at that for a little over a year now. Mm -hmm. And lots of cool stories he was telling me uh, when he first got here this morning about that. So really encouraged to have him here, really encouraged at how God is using you. Mm. And if it's okay, I'll just go ahead and pray for you and then hand it all over to you. It's not okay to pray in the church. can't cover me in grace. No, I can't cover (laughs) you. All right, let's pray together for our brother and for this morning. Uh, Lord God, thank you for Javon. Thank you for Flourish, which you've allowed he and others to plant. Uh, It is your church, ultimately. And yet you're working through him and others to see folks in Rainier Valley be reached for you Mm -hmm. and drawn to you in a saving way. And so we pray that would continue. We pray that you would give Javon joy Mm -hmm. and peace and comfort just as he preaches this morning, as if he was just sitting in his home church. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when we open your word together, um, it's joy for all of us, Mm -hmm. even when it's a hard word. And this might be a little bit of a hard word today as we talk about some of these things. And so just pray that you be with him, that you guide his every word, yes. and that we all in here this morning, in, in reach of Javon's voice, uh, would be lifted up and encouraged by your word this morning. We pray all this through your son and by your spirit. Amen. 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 How are you guys doing? Good. I saw y'all going in on worship, so I know you better be talking to me or else I know you're, you're trying to give me less energy. You know what I'm saying? 
And also, I was growing up in the chocolate church, so for interpretation, I'll also try to give interpretation of my slangology. Um, uh, in the chocolate church, that means the black church. So growing up in the black church, you know, it's okay to talk to the preacher. Uh, another rule of thumb, if you hear me get loud, I'm not angry. Uh, I'm just excited, okay? Um, so if I hear you responding to me, then that means that you're tracking with me and that the sermon does not have to be longer. Uh, so... <laughs> But if I, if I don't hear nothing, I just, the Holy Spirit's just going to work on me to like, they don't get it yet, doc. You got to keep preaching. Okay, so I'm going I'm to need your help in that regards. No, in all honesty and sincerity, it is wonderful to be here. Um, you know, Pastor Shane, man, I'm so thankful that you're here. And like, that's just, <laughs> praise God for you. You know, him he was one of the guys that I could always go and ask a theological question to. Um, and he was always willing and ready and very uh, helpful to me and just was always super encouraging. And so I'm really thankful for God's grace on you. I'm thankful for you guys really supporting him, um, supporting his family and supporting this church. Uh, Pastor Aaron is one of my uh, best friends. Whenever we go to uh, Bible training, like the, last time we had uh, Tim Mackey, he does the Bible project. He came and actually, uh, you know, brought me up on stage to pray for our church plant, which is only a year old at this date right now, today, and it had not even been planted. And I remember me and Aaron are just sitting next to each other, just, just making jokes like it's a high school thing. And it's just like, man, if there was like a teacher, we would get in so much trouble. So uh, I love your pastor. Um, he loves you. He talks about you guys often. And just, I just love how much that your pastoral staff and your pastoral team loves you, cares about you, and how much they just are wanting to give you more and more of Jesus and how you can follow him. So it's a blessing to be here. Um, and so uh, we want to jump into God's word. And yes, um, as you guys have been in Proverbs, we, we're taking a turn in Ecclesiastes. Um, and it, you can, as you heard earlier, it sounded very uplifting. Um, more like it's from like the DC universe of comics. It seemed a lot like Gotham going on. Um, but you know, it's, it's, it's the reality of uh, brokenness in our world and what happens when you really come to understand more and more who God is and who we are not. And so it's a, it's a real word. And so Ecclesiastes, as we talked about Proverbs, um, Ecclesiastes is one of those books that um, I think it's one of my favorite books. When people are like, what's your favorite book in the Bible? I'm like, I think Ecclesiastes. They're like, we're going to pray for you. Um, because it, it just, it answers so many questions that I've always had. Um, and some of us have had some rough lives and we've been through a lot of different things to where we're asking God these questions. And uh, one commentator uh, said that you could actually probably just take the book of Ecclesiastes, you could take it out of the Bible and then wrap to the rest of the scriptures inside of it. And that that's a good explanation about Ecclesiastes. All things make sense when you read Ecclesiastes, the problems in the world, struggling, um, you know, just uh, internally, externally, all of those different things. That the book of Ecclesiastes gives us the answer to um, the deepest parts of uh, our hearts when it talks about who God is and ultimately pointing towards Jesus Christ, um, our Messiah. And so one of the biggest themes in Proverbs is wisdom. Um, it's wisdom and knowledge. Now, the beginning of Proverbs, as it starts out, it's like a loving father giving his son some instructions, trying to get him hip to game. Uh, what that means is he's trying to let him know some things on how the world operates so that he will be successful in life. 
You know, and as a person who, I'm 34 now, and I just met my father for the first time um, a couple months ago, as he is uh, on uh, what was supposed to be his deathbed, had never met my father, had never even laid eyes on my father, and wisdom is, is important, and knowledge is important, but it's not the in some game. And I remember I walked into the hospital, and I looked at the nurse, and I said, hi, which room is uh, George in? And she said that he's in this room. Now, there was two beds, um, and there was two African-American gentlemen in either bed. So as you can get my dilemma here right now, what I didn't want to do is be the creepy uh, Darth Vader breathing over uh, another man and have him wake up and I say, dad, and he's like, uh, no, (laughs) or maybe, so I have to ask the nurse, which bed is he in? And she says, he's in bed two by the window. And as I go over to the bed, I see my father with my own eyes for the first time. And I had always wanted to talk to him. I'd always wanted him to instruct me so I could grow up to be a more successful man, to be a more loving father, to be a more loving husband. And I remember when my dad woke up, I got to try to talk to him and he didn't make any sense. And so there was no wisdom that was given. In fact, he asked me, what kind of car do I drive? That was the only thing that my father asked me. Now, it tells you a lot about that narrative and that story and why the book of Ecclesiastes, when we talk about knowledge and when we talk about wisdom, why that's important. Fathers, it is good for you to give instructions to your sons and your daughters. They need you. And in that, just like having to ask who my dad was, It was knowledge that I needed. It was wisdom that I needed. Likewise, and it painted the picture for me to say, what do I need to know about this situation? For my father, it showed what he wanted to know. He only wanted to know what kind of car did I drive, not like, how you been doing the past 33 years? And that was a hard place to be. But again, in God's scripture, the knowledge and the wisdom makes sense. And so I want to let you in on that because we need to see the relationship between the father to the son and then ultimately as if you're in Christ, God as our father giving instruction to us, his children, saying, hey, there are multiple ways that you can go. All the other ways lead to death, but this one way leads to life. So my prayer and my hope for us today and this morning is that we would heed the instruction of our heavenly father, that we would heed the instruction of the good wisdom of God. Because we're all searching and we're all looking for some knowledge. We've all got some questions that we would like to get answered. Am I the only one? Um, well, you know that when you have kids and they're always asking questions, but why, but why, but why, but why? And then you think that that's your name because they say it so much. And, but we all have questions. We all have a deep desire to want to know. And that's not inherently wrong. And that's not inherently evil. We're actually created to know. We're created to have the capacity to know, to have wisdom and to have knowledge. But the reality that comes into it is, is what knowledge 
And what wisdom do we need? Do we actually need? Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. So looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, um, on September 4th, 1998, in Menlo, California, a brand new business was birthed. And one of these uh, spaces that this business would do and how it would operate was to allow a person to get on the internet and search for anything that they were looking to find. You may have heard of this company before. It's called Google. It's called Google. And a, a research done by Search Engine Land has shown in 2019, year to date, Google receives 63,000 inquiries or searches for data per second a day. 63,000 searches per second per day. And that also the average person Googles searches for something three to four times a day. Now, some of us already know we have already used three of our, of our tickets already this week. Some of us might even use it this morning. Or one of the other largest search engines, it may even be number one at this point. It usually goes between Google and uh, YouTube, which is also owned by Google. So we see that this is a perfect proof that we are all desiring and looking for knowledge and looking for wisdom. As technology has gotten deeper and and more integrated, we see that computers used to be in giant rooms, and now they have come to be in our palms. And before, when I was growing up, when we had our computer, you would try to pick up the phone to call somebody, and and you heard this sound like, and you're like, what is going on out here? It it was called a dial tone, a dial-up, dial-up internet where you couldn't, no one could be on the phone while you were trying to get on the internet. It's kind of like I see these uh, videos right now where they take the kids of Stranger Things who the show was in the 80s, and they take these younger kids and they show them different devices from the 80s and say, hey, what is this? This is a VHS. Well, what is a VHS going to? Uh, I don't know. A VCR. Oh, I never knew what that was before. So some of you guys, if you don't know what dial-up is, you are blessed and highly favored. You are blessed and highly favored. If you've escaped dial-up in the rotary phone, the Lord has had great mercy upon you. <laughs> but as the internet has changed everything and technology has changed everything, it's allowed us to connect with so many people of different cultures, different ethnicities, different races, uh, different faith um, backgrounds. So much so that it can, when you go wake up in the morning and you go online, all of a sudden... You were having a happy day. You had some quiet times. You had some coffee. It's all good. You listen to your favorite music. Your kids aren't up. Your kids are allowing you to actually have a moment to think for yourself. And then all of a sudden, you see on Facebook or on Instagram, this person is going on a whole nother trip again. What happened with the police? This politician said, what? They did this. They did that. And all of a sudden, you become depressed, saddened, or even envious because of the window of the wisdom and knowledge that you now have into somebody else's life. You know, when you think about Jesus on the cross, all of the weight of everyone's sin and their shame, it crushed Jesus's body. 
imagine trying to understand and see everything going on in the world to what it would do to you. It would crush us. And we're going to talk about it a little bit later, but there's a blessing in the limitations of wisdom. There's a blessing in the limitations of wisdom. If you've ever seen uh, Bruce Almighty, where one day uh, Jim Carrey becomes, gets to become God, and Morgan Freeman gives him the power to be God for a while. And as Jim Carrey has to sit down at the computer, he gets all these emails, which are actually prayers from people. And he's up there doing all the typing, which, by the way, God doesn't have a computer and he doesn't have an email address. Um, you can hit him up through his son at prayer.com, right? Like this is, this is, this is you, you're, you pray to him. That's, that's how he receives. But you see this even as they're trying to illustrate this, this, this uh, illustration even falls short because they took someone who was finite and tried to make him infinite. You see, but God has always been infinite. His character is surpassed than our own. And as we see, as all these people inquiried for God, for wisdom, and as Jim Carrey couldn't keep up with all the the inquiries, it shows you that we are always asking, we are always looking, seeking for the answers to the problems and the solutions in our lives. Now, God says, if you need wisdom, if any person lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give it. So all of us have a search engine of our heart and we're all searching. Some of us are honestly just actually searching the wrong platform. Some of us are looking more to the left or to the right and internally for the answers of life as opposed to looking up to where God is. To not look to hope. We don't look for hope underneath the sun. We look for hope over the sun that's rightly placed in the sun, Jesus Christ. So as we look at this, this is a biblical thing. The desire to know, the desire to have knowledge. Now, verse 13, the Koheleth, as you look at your uh, scriptures, it may say teacher or preacher. Now, it also could be translated as the philosopher. So think of, I'm a nerd too, by the way, too. So there will be a lot of references to pop culture. So just forgive me, okay? Now, when you think of the philosopher in this, in this text, you think of a person like, like, a Captain, or like, like Spock, you know, who uh, is very logic-based. Um, things must uh, go together and it, it must make sense. And so this philosopher, as he is looking at life, he is saying that some things are going weird here. And as the teacher, as the philosopher, I'm going to educate you on wisdom and on knowledge. Now, when you look at verse 13, he says, I applied my mind to examine and explore through all wisdom that is done under heaven. Now, one thing that we need to be very clear of when it says my mind in this particular way of literary writing and how this was being interpreted was it actually when it says my mind, it actually means my heart. The core The core, he says he applied the core of his being to seek and to find out the answers to life. The Kohayath, the teacher, applied his mind and heart in the pursuit of wisdom in all that is done under the heavens. 
You see, the intent and the desire of the human heart in the core of who we are has been made to know and acquire knowledge. Well, what does that mean? In John chapter 17, it's known as Jesus's high priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, Jesus not only prays for himself, he prays for us and he prays for his disciples. But in John 17, 3, Jesus gives us the answer to life, what the meaning of life is, what eternal life is. Jesus says in John 17, 3, that eternal life is to know God and to know the one who he sent, which is Jesus. So that is the answer to all of our lives. It's to know God. We sang it earlier. For the glory of God alone, we are created to know him. Some of us, you may have came here today wondering, what is the meaning of your life? The meaning of your life is to know God. And I don't merely mean an ethereal knowing or a heady knowing. I mean a heart knowing. Like if you were going to buy someone you love and you know and you care about a gift, you know what they like. Jesus also, his words are recorded in the same way in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Where Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, I went to Sound City at the 11 o'clock in the morning. Lord, Lord, I gave money to the church. Lord, Lord, I went and played golf. Lord, Lord, I had to figure out what is real barbecue and what is not real barbecue. We can do those things and say those things, or we can read our Bibles. We can put on a show when we come in here, acting like we're all put together when we understand that our lives are falling apart and we're acting and we are faking and putting on masks to try to earn God's approval, to try to do things for God because we think that God grades on a curve. Well, friends, God does not grade on a curve. He judges based on his own righteousness and his son. So we can do the Christian things. We can say the Christian things. We can try to read the Christian books, try to give the Christian answers, all disconnected from the actual person of God. May it not be so with us to that day where either the Lord returns or we die and we go to be with him, that we think we were doing a great job, but you actually didn't know him. You knew about him. And maybe you just knew about him so you can get some of his stuff. Maybe it's you only go to the church because there's a guy or a girl that's kind of cute and you want to come and get to know. But you have no interest in pursuing Jesus. Or you've lived more of a seasoned life. And as a saint, you're on the other side. You've seen some things. Or growing up, we would say in the black church, I done been through some things. But God. And as you've been through some things, you think, I've done all I need to do. God should just let, let me chill and let me kick it because I've, I've done all I can do. No, 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 no. If you're still here, God has work for you to do. And we are not justified or made right by God by our, by our own righteousness and by our own actions. 
The only action, friends, that we need to do is receive the action of Jesus on the cross. In my place, in your place, for our sins. We have to truly know him, not know about him. Look at your neighbor and say, do you know him? Let me help you out again. In the chocolate church, we like to help people ask questions. Because you can retain way more, and the Holy Spirit can do way more from questions being asked than someone being told what to do. So look at your neighbor and ask your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Okay, I'm just making sure that y'all's ready. Y'all's ready. Y'all's ready. Y'all is ready. This is important. This is so deeply important that we know whose righteousness, who we need to know, and what we need to know. You see, ever since Genesis 3, we have all been seeking wisdom and knowledge on our own terms. One thing that's very interesting, I'm studying for a sermon for next week to preach on the adversary of the kingdom. You know, the scripture says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, cosmic powers, supernatural forces, and that we need the armor of God to armor up to war. And in Genesis, when it talks about Satan, the slanderer, the Satan, or the deceiver, it depicts him as a serpent. You know, serpents are very wise, which has a connotation of wisdom. As we also know in the scripture, it says, be wise as serpents for us as believers, but be harmless and gentle as doves. Satan, the serpent, painting this picture of thinking that he has wisdom, tempts Adam and Eve in the garden to where they, wow, that's very interesting, they pick fruit from the knowledge, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, seeking to become wise. And then we continue to this day to exchange the truth of God for a lie. You see, the enemy has one trick. He's a slanderer. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He tries to tell Adam and Eve, and he tries to tell us that everything that God has given us, all of the knowledge that God wants us to know, we have everything that we need. Because when God made everything, he said it was good. But now all of a sudden, someone else, a serpent who thinks they are more wise, says, I, don't, I think this good God is withholding knowledge and wisdom from you. You see, we are all tempted to get knowledge and wisdom in our own way, which is not the way that God created and wants for us to have. You see, because oftentimes we're looking horizontally. We're looking at the Instagram. We're looking at the Facebook. We're looking at Google. Or we just continue to ask other people all these different things about knowledge, about what God wants you to do with your life, which is not wrong to seek wisdom. But God says, if you have, need, have the need for wisdom, let him ask. But true wisdom is not found horizontally. True wisdom is found vertically. It's found in God. It's found in the keeper and the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I may, must make this thing. There's two things I want to acknowledge. Wisdom is not evil or wicked, okay? So if you're like, I'm, I have a question and I want to ask it. It was a theological question or some other question. Those aren't wrong. They're good. Or if you're in school 
And you're like, well, why am I going to school if knowledge is wicked? Um, well, uh, student loans are wicked. Um, but, uh, you know, going to school to, to learn more is, is not. I heard an amen right there. Yeah, that's help me, God. I wish uh, God would tell uh, Navient, because she's changed her name. She used to be uh, Sally Mae, um, but that Jesus paid it all. And so I would love... I would love for God to make that phone call and let them know with knowledge and wisdom that he's done it. But we got to acknowledge it. The pursuit of wisdom uh, and knowledge is not a bad thing. What becomes bad and wicked is when the pursuit of wisdom or knowledge is on our own terms, which is wicked. And that's why in the garden, we tried to get knowledge and wisdom on our own terms and not on God's terms. God says you have everything that you need and all that you need to know. As I said before, we are not meant to bear all things on this body and in our minds. We are not infinite. We are finite. We get exhausted. God is inexhaustible. We use that theological topic of the inexhaustibleness of God. And basically, it's like if you ever drink, you guys drink milk? One person drinks milk, okay? So you're all lactose intolerant. So that means you have like nut milk, oat milk, uh, soy milk, joy milk. I don't know what new ones they have. But imagine you taking a two liter of that whatever you love and you have a 12 ounce cup. If you poured all of what was in this, uh, two, uh, this two gallons into this 12 ounce cup, what happens? It overflows because it cannot contain that which is infinite. It's too little to contain the bigness. So when we think of John 17, 3, eternal life is to know God, that God even has to remake your body to be able to live in his presence to get to know him forever. You can pick up your mind diaper on the way out. (laughs) That is the bigness of God. But even deeper is that the inexhaustibleness of God, the more and more you pour out, like I said, it was a two-gallon jug, it actually never stops ending. That is the wisdom that we have. That is the wisdom that we need. It is the wisdom of God. All of God bound up in Jesus says to know me is to know eternal life. This is what you need for your life. This is the wisdom and knowledge to know that I've given everything that you need and that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And like a loving father instructs their children and says, this is a safe path and this is a dangerous path. God in Christ has given us everything that we need for life and for godliness. But here comes the rub. Do you reject that truth for your own truth? This is when you get into lots of different belief systems where people say, well, I believe I read this in the Bible, but logically, and then they try to do all this judo. Now, I'm not saying that you can't wrestle and that God doesn't allow you to wrestle with doubts and and process those things. He actually cares about those things very much. And he is loving, tender, and gracious. He is not a hard person. He's not beating you down because you're learning and you're trying to figure out things. But sometimes we don't believe certain things because we actually resist them. We don't want to believe them. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And then we get into these deep spaces. Like you, you can learn some of these spaces, even like rap music, you know, because of history of our country. 
in those different things. Like you think of 50 cents, get rich or die trying. It's all vanity because he doesn't have the answer of what suffering is about. You can get into these really weird spaces where you accept your truth over God's truth. So I'm not saying do not reason, but remember that your reasoning comes under subjection under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? I'm not saying you just accept the answer. You test it with the scriptures. But the scriptures do not submit to our wisdom. We submit to the wisdom of the scriptures. Because it is the spirit of God who wrote them for us. Once you even attain to know or have too much wisdom, you realize you never knew enough. (laughs) I love what this says um, in verse 13. It says, God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. (laughs) So I ask you the question, are you tired of the miserable task? of trying to find out more knowledge and knowledge and knowledge and wisdom and wisdom and wisdom apart from the person of all knowledge and wisdom. You see, sometimes we're trying to figure out the why of situation when we need to embrace the who of the situation. Let me say that again. Sometimes we're so concerned about the why of the situation when we need to embrace the who, who is Lord over the situation. It doesn't mean that you cannot suffer. It does not mean that when you're processing through these things that you're not allowed to feel that way. You are. The Bible actually invites you to do it and even lament in it. God invites us. But what he also invites us is to bow under him. Not put ourselves in the place of God. To seat ourselves on the throne of our own hearts. You see, in verse 14, the human Google machine, the Koheleth, is saying he has seen it all and found everything as futile, and it's chasing the wind. I know some of y'all might be fast in here, but you're not faster than a gust of wind. You know, in London, there was this person called the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, like I said, he he wasn't a chocolate preacher, but, but the man could preach. So much so, they called him the Prince of Preachers. Well, as the Prince of Preachers was preaching in London, revival was happening. Tons of people were coming to the knowledge and the wisdom of who Jesus was. This crowd and it was so big. The building was so filled. And someone who most likely did not like Spurgeon yelled, fire, fire. So much so that there was a panic. And in the panic of all of these people leaving this church service, many people were trampled to death and killed. And Charles Spurgeon was so devastated by that. And he struggled with depression. He struggled with depression deeply from that. From wounds of someone who would do something like that. And then even as Many don't know Charles Spurgeon also used to preach in America, but he could not come back to America to preach because there was assassination plots on his life because he rejected slavery. And he would not condone slavery, especially within his denomination and when it came to um, black people. 
So this man suffering from these things, physical ailments, struggling with depression, so much so that he, whenever he encountered that text, he wouldn't want to preach it because it reminded him of the trauma. And when they asked him, Charles Spurgeon, how do you battle or fight depression? He said, to battle and fight depression, it was as if he was boxing with a mist. You ever tried to win a fight against air? You can't. But he said to get out of it was like, I, I'm trying to fight my way in an enemy that I, I can't see. And that's what the pursuit of wisdom is. It's like chasing the wind or trying to box. You don't, you're, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying to find it, but you can't land a punch. It's empty. You can't see it. You can't hit it. And it's meaningless. In verse 16, the Kohelet said, not just, he also says to himself, he spoke to his heart. We need to ask ourselves questions to our heart. It's good to interrogate the soul. It's good to ask them questions. Like the psalmist would say, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? I love how Jesus, whenever he was uh, asked questions by people trying to hem him up, that means trap him. Uh, it's not in your translation, but it's, it's in the uh, slang Greek. Um, <laughs> trying to trap him, he would ask them a question. Now, you know, Jesus was cold with it. That means he was really smart. Um, when he could ask someone else a question to their question and dis disarm them just from a question. You see, we need to get into the practice of asking our hearts and our souls questions. Why are we searching? And even deeper, what is your heart searching for? Your mind, the core of who you are. What are you searching for? We need to embrace this practice. In verse, six, verse 17, the Google search of wisdom has been attained by the Koheleth. He says in verse 17, he says, I applied my mind to know wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. I learned that this too is a pursuit of the wind. He was like, by the way, uh, I know everything. I've got all the knowledge, but it's folly. All that I thought I needed to know, it's empty. I grasped this wisdom and knowledge. And then he shares his findings. He shares, he shares his, his search. Uh, oh, oh, Siri, Siri was looking. She was looking for knowledge. I'm like, come on, Siri, I'm preaching. The search. This is what happens. He found it is a waste of time. You see, the more you know, or the more you know how to operate, the more sadder you become and your grief increases. You ever tried to just dig into one subject or something that you read um, that it just consumed you, even like a scripture or something, and you just tried to go deeper and deeper and deeper, and you're like, man, I don't know what is going on here. This is what the text says, but my mind don't compute with it. And you just get more vexated. You want to know. Or this is when people go deeper, deeper into conspiracy theories. They try to explain everything. They, they know. But with more 
knowledge comes more vexation. Again, you don't need to know what your friends are doing online. You don't need to know that. You got your own life. You don't, you don't need it. You're not meant to bear all that. Much, you, when you, and when you find out, and you, when you know more, guess what happens? You're even sadder. More vexation. I mean, it's in the text, and bef- it was before the gram was even invented. You see, but the God that sits above the circle of the deep. Oh, wow, the earth was round in the Bible. The God who sits above the circle of the deep and looks down upon us like as if we're grasshoppers. That God is the knowledge that we need. He is the wisdom. You see, the more you know, the more your grief increases. There's a freedom in knowing our limitations. It's a freedom. We don't jump off top of buildings because there's limitations. It's called gravity. You, you may not believe in gravity, but gravity believes in you. So it's the same thing when we say, well, I don't believe that. That's what the scripture says. I don't believe, uh, but that's, that, great. Here's what the scripture says. Here's what God of the universe says. Here's the God who architected everything says. This is what will happen. This is who I am. Do you believe in me? Do you know me? Do you trust me that I know what's good, that I have the knowledge that you need, and it's me? So what do we do with this? Well, true wisdom is only found in God through worship. Like in Psalm 73, Asaph, the psalmist, he was uh, one of three worship leaders in the temple. You think of the Jackson 5, but minus two. Um, He was one of three um, worship leaders, and he would lead the nation of Israel in worship to God. And Asaph was even playing the cymbals. He was the cymbal player when um, the uh, Ark of the Covenant was coming back. But God was judging the nation of Israel through their rebellion and their unrepentance through the conquering of Babylon, conquering them. And Asaph was like, surely God is good to those who are in Israel. And then in verse 13, I believe it is, he says, surely I've washed my hands clean and kept my heart pure. Basically what he's saying is, I've wasted my life living for God because he is not judging these people. You see, when we look horizontally, when we look at all these things going on and not the one who's Lord over them, we start to believe a false narrative that God is detached, that God is not present. You see, but Asaph, his demeanor changed when he looked up. Friends, no more horizontal looking. Look up. Our hope and our help is found over the heavens, not under the heavens. Scriptures say in Psalm 14:1, a fool is a person who says to themselves, there is no God. And that living their lifestyle and their life apart from him is what they want. Friends, if you're a person who doesn't yet know God, not coming to church, but knowing the person of Jesus, I want you to know that there is a God. That he is real, his name is Jesus, and he came to die in my place for my sins and also for yours. And he invites you to say, now I give you the knowledge. It's not knowledge that you have to attain. It's not somewhere you have to get. You don't have to get to God. 
but that God has come to you. So he comes near to you today. And the questions that you've had as you're searching and looking for answers, I tell you that the answer is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And all of us, friends, who call ourselves disciples of Jesus, a disciple is a learner. They follow their master. That means they sit at their master's feet and they listen to his instruction. So if you call yourself a disciple here today, as you're walking with Jesus, it is an everyday decision to sit at his feet and listen to his words and to accept his knowledge and to accept his wisdom. Even the most wisest and smartest person with more PhDs than Bruce Banner. You guys didn't see that one? There's this beautiful scene in Thor Ragnarok where Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk, and Thor are escaping from a planet. And Bruce Banner, because he doesn't have any special powers like the other guys do in his own self, he brags about how smart he is. And there's this big beef between him and Tony Stark about who's really smarter and who knows way more. Well, as they're escaping from this planet, uh, Thor says to Bruce Banner, hey, use one of your seven PhDs to fly the spaceship. And Bruce Banner says, I don't, I'm not, none of my PhDs have an expertise in flying spaceships because I never even knew that this was possible before. You see, just like that, no matter what you have been through in your life, no matter how many PhDs you have, no matter how smart you think you are or all your logic, all of those things are not enough to explain God. They're not enough to give you the answers for life. You think you know, but you don't know. But guess what? You don't have to know. You're not called to know. You're called to know him. You're not called to worry about what tomorrow holds. You're called to know who holds tomorrow. This is the reality. This is who God is. You see, if we fail to understand our limits of who we are and the limitations of wisdom, we will wrongly misplace our hopes in the wrong things under heaven. Again, our intellect, our logic, our degrees, our experience, our argumentative strength, Like, oh, I could crush that person in an argument. I could walk up to a person and just like disarm them and make them look dumb. Well, great. Does it save your life? Does it save their life? We don't look for wisdom under heaven. We look for it over heaven. You see, this book asks us deep, deep questions about all of mankind that we all want to know, but we're all looking around under the heavens. But the answer is over the heavens. And that person has come near in Jesus Christ. So today as we end, I ask you to ask yourself a question to interrogate your soul. What does it, what does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labors at it under the sun? Because again, verse 16, I have a mass wisdom far beyond all of those who are over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has thoroughly grasped all wisdom and knowledge. I applied my mind to wisdom and knowledge, madness and folly. This too is a pursuit of chasing the wind. I applied my mind to examine and to explore through wisdom that is done under heaven. But God has given these people a miserable task to keep them occupied. 
are you miserable today? Look at your neighbor and say, are you miserable? Are you tired of looking for the answers horizontally? It's time to look up, people. It's time to look up. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of all grace. We thank you that you have uh, kindly bestowed upon us all the riches of your wisdom in your son, Jesus. So God, would you do a work in us today to not allow us to lean into our own knowledge and our own understanding, but to trust you as your scripture says. Lord, we don't have to have everything figured out, but we do know that you give us grace to process through those things. But there is still an invitation to submit to your lordship and to your law and to your word and to your grace. God, would you allow us to understand that you have come near, that there's nothing that we need to do but to receive you. Lord, may our comings to this gathering of saints, of believers, of disciples of Jesus, never be a religious chore or task. May it truly be an intimate, relational aspect of what we say we believe and who we say that you are. So God, would you do this today? Any of those, Lord God, who are hurting and they need answers from suffering, from death of loved ones, to financial calamity, to trauma and stuff going on in their lives. I pray that you, God of all grace, would grant them wisdom and that you would grant them comfort and that they would not get caught up in their situation, but they would know that you were caught up for them. We thank you, God. Be with us as we continue to worship and take communion. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, can we thank Pastor Javon for leading us this morning? I'm glad you talked about um, what it means to be a disciple, to sit at the Lord's feet, to follow him, to learn from him. Because now we're going to turn to this time of the Lord's Supper or communion, where for all of us who are, by God's grace, disciples, um, let's go ahead and open up the communion elements so that we're ready to do this together. Uh, but I'd encourage you also, uh, hold on to the elements. Once you get them open, you can just be working on that, and then hold on to them f- so we can reflect for a moment on Jesus' instructions to his first disciples concerning the Lord's Supper. And I'll read for, for us from the Word of God. This is the Word of the Lord from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, herself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So here in 1 Corinthians, as many of you know, the Apostle Paul is reminding us that we're each to examine ourselves, to pause, to reflect on what we're doing for a moment, prayerfully, before we receive the Lord's Supper. It's a noble thing that we're doing. It's an important thing that we're doing. So as the band plays, let's take a moment now and do that very thing. Let's examine our own hearts before God in silent prayer. 
Let's reflect for at least a moment on what we've heard today about wisdom and about eternal life, which is found only in knowing God. Only in knowing God. And then when you're ready, you can go ahead and eat of the bread and drink of the cup.